Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Bradley and welcome back into another episode of Let's Dive Deep. Today we are completing our deep dive, for now, into the hit Netflix series Bridgerton and discussing the 8th episode, the finale of season 1, entitled After the Rain. As you all know by now, Let's Dive Deep contains adult content. It is not a podcast you should be listening to around children for sure. But if you don't want to talk about adulty things, just keep in mind in this episode of Bridgerton, two of our characters go for a rather physical rendezvous backstage during a boxing match that neither of them really want to be at. So if that's not the kind of thing you want to talk about or discuss today, now would be a great time to tune out of the podcast. Normally, we have a spoiler policy here, but as we are completing season one, there is nothing left to spoil, so I have two announcements for you guys instead. The first announcement is Bridgerton-related. It is that we are going to be doing a couple end-of-season episodes. Obviously, I've talked about this before, but I would like you to participate. So for the first end-of-season episode, I, I do plan on keeping this feed rather active in between the end of Bridgerton and, and or Bridgerton Season 1 and the beginning of Bridgerton Season 2. How active? Obviously not weekly or anything, but as things come up or as things that I want to talk about come up, I, I'd love to revisit Bridgerton in the meantime. So for our first end-of-season an episode, which should come out about a week after this one, although if this week's any uh, indication, I might get a little delayed by life and other things. Um, I would like your help. So we have a Gmail, let's dive deep pod at gmail.com. And our first end of season episode is going to be an end of season review. So we are going to go back and re-rank the episode. So far, we've been ranking the episodes, and I'll be ranking this one today, as an isolated experiment. How did this episode do on its own? But now that we have the context, we've watched the show, we know what happens, we're going to re-rank the episode. So the first thing I would like you to do is send me an email with your episode rankings. I'd love to see how you ranked these episodes. I'd love to put together like a fan ranking from you guys and do that on the podcast and kind of discuss where we differ on our rankings, especially because I'm going to be re-ranking the episodes. So so a lot of my rankings, I've started working on it. Every single episode is a different ranking than the one I gave it the first time, except for this one, because I haven't re-ranked it yet, thinking about it from that point of view. But that's going to be exciting. We are also doing a general discussion and a general Q&A. So if you have any questions uh, that you would like to ask about Bridgerton, if you want my opinion on something, or you'd just like to ask me a question about anything that happens in the show, you can send those along in the same email. So it can be anything about Bridgerton. We are also going to be talking about our favorite characters, the top characters, the top scenes, and the top moments in the show, and kind of how they affected the rest of the show, how they affected us. Just some of those moments that we wanted to kind of revisit and talk about now that we know what happens. If you want to send me any of your top characters, your top scenes, your top moments, things like that, we might also do if we have time in that podcast. I know I can talk forever. Uh, we might do the opposite. What were some of the worst moments or our least favorite scenes or things that didn't quite click for us? But I generally want to keep it positive for the end of the season episode. Bridgerton's a great show. There's no reason to go in too negative or anything. Um, so we have the episode re-ranking. The general discussion for Q&A stuff. And then top characters, top scenes, and top moments will be the first end of uh, season podcast. So if you want to send me any of that information in an email, I'd love to read it out on the stream. I'd love to get your, on the stream, sorry, <laughs> on the podcast. And I'd just love to talk about that. So if you want to do that, let's dive deep pod at gmail.com. Also, this is a Twitter shout-out, at Let's Dive Deep on Twitter. I'm trying to be more active on there. I'm trying to, to remember, but... After Bridgerton, we will be doing the next Let's Dive Deep on Hamilton. So don't unsubscribe from this feed. 
because Bridgerton will still be coming and we will be going into season two and all of that stuff. So this feed is still good to hang out in, don't worry. But we will be doing Let's Dive Deep Hamilton. I do not want to spam this feed about Bridgerton with stuff about Hamilton. So if you've watched Hamilton, the hit musical on Disney+, Plus, maybe you've seen it live. It is one of the most amazing experiences and amazing musicals that I've ever seen or watched. And I'd love to dive deep into it and talk about it. So we are going to do that for our next Let's Dive Deep. So if you would like more info on that, that'll be at Let's Dive Deep on Twitter. But just know that'll be starting somewhere between the 1st and 14th of March. I'm still nailing down a co-host. I think I have someone who's going to do it with me. We'll see. And still kind of chopping out the episodes for how I want to discuss the songs and the characters and things like that. So I would expect that to hit the feed. Um, not this one, but the one that I'll tell you about on Twitter. Um, in, in mid-March sometime, probably hopefully closer to the beginning. But yeah, the next Let's Dive Deep will be Hamilton, which is exciting. And finally, now that the season is over, this might be your last episode with us, and I would love to thank you for coming on the journey. If you're not going to be here for the end of season kind of review episodes, I mean, I hope you'll stay, but I know a lot of people are probably going to tap out after, like, I've had enough of this dude talking about Bridgerton. If you would be so kind as to go and leave a review somewhere, uh, this podcast, by the time this episode comes out, is probably going to be around 2,000 downloads. I have no idea if that's good for a podcast, but it's so much more than I thought. Every episode so far is more than 200 downloads. It's just been unbelievable to see the support from you guys on this podcast. I, I don't have anything to relate it to, but I feel like it's a lot. And so that's been incredible. I mean, if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that does reviews or just rate it wherever you can rate it, it really helps the podcast get out to more people. And then hopefully for the end of season episode and for season two, we have a huge army of people ready to go and ready to discuss that. So I would appreciate that very much. Obviously, don't have to if you don't want to, but it would really help out. But now let's kick back relax, and let's dive deep into the finale of the first season of Bridgerton. I thought about coming with you tonight. I envisioned myself in your arm, dancing the entire night away. But my imagination was the furthest I could allow myself to go. Sienna, what are you doing? What am I doing? What am I... I am doing the very thing I have always done. I am looking out for myself. I am ensuring my own future because I know in my heart, I know that there is no one else who ever will. I tried. You must know, I, I tried. What I know is that you are lost. And I cannot allow you to set me adrift as well. You need to let me go. I know I've been unfair. Let me go. I am comfortable. I am content. That gentleman upstairs he sees me for who I am. Unlike you, he does not wish for me to don some ridiculous gown and go with him to some absurd ball. He does not wish for me to change. And neither do I. You need to let me go.
You're right. I'm sorry, Sienna. I'm so sorry. As mentioned before, this was season one, episode eight, which is the finale. The title was After the Rain, which is definitely, almost certainly, the worst title out of all. It doesn't affect the score or anything, but I've, I've ranked all the titles. So After the Rain, when I heard this title, immediately I thought of like a spring shower. Like what comes after the rain? I thought about it thematically. I thought about it, you know, I, I was really deep. It was really like internal. And I was thinking about, oh, you know, you have all this ruined land and then after the rain, you know, all the flowers grow. And I was like, this is the redemption episode. This is the feel good episode, right? I thought about all these things and then there's like actually just rain. It's just, it's just actual rain and it rains in the episode and there's just rain. I was like, oh, well, so it's literally just named after the rain because it rains. And then the thing we want to happen happens after the rain. It's just like, oh, maybe I wouldn't care so much if I had not thought about the episode title so like internally. But man, this one let me down. This episode title, as much as an episode title could let me down, definitely let me down. This episode was written by Chris Van Dusen, who is the showrunner of Bridgerton and directed by all Rick Riley. These are the same two people who did the last episode. So we have, like I mentioned in the first episode of Bridgerton, often they film episodes of TV in blocks. So you can keep the same writers and directors and cinematographers kind of doing a block together. Now, not always and not all shows and not always consistently within a show, but I have a feeling episode seven and eight were blocked together. Um, and so these guys could just kind of get on a roll and do this. So, um, Chris Van Dusen and Ulrich Riley, writer and director of the finale, also writer and director of the seventh episode. Now, I hate to do this on the finale because this was a good episode. This was a really good episode. It was a good finale. Uh, I generally really like where we ended up. I, I had so much fun this episode. This might have been the most, most fun I had in the episode uh, since maybe episode four or five. Um, but this is going to be the first episode that doesn't increase the score from the last one. Last time we hit an 8.2, and every episode before that had been increasing, at least for me. I know a lot of people dipped out on the on the on the scores around episode six, where I thought I thought that was a really well done episode. A lot of people didn't, and that's all good. But for me, the last seven scores have all been higher than the one before it. I'm gonna dip back to an eight for this one. As a finale, you have an outsized importance. Same with the uh, premiere episode. So premiere episodes have an outsized expositional importance, meaning they have to do a lot of the talking, a lot of the introducing, which means their scores are typically lower because it can sometimes be boring to just kind of figure out where you are and what's happening. And it's all very confusing. But a finale has to do multiple things. It has to satisfactorily end the show and end all the plot lines that we have going on and all the things we've been looking forward. We talked about momentum last episode. Well, that momentum leads to this one. And this episode has to take that momentum and do something with it right it also because you know we're getting a season two it either has to end cold turkey right with no kind of cliffhangers or if you know you're getting a season two it has to give you some momentum something to look forward to for season two for the next season um, but mainly it has to land the plane i like to think of finale episodes as landing the plane you're a pilot You've written, you've directed, you've been the director of photography, you've done all your work for seven episodes. The plane got off the ground, it's in the air, you've flown to your destination, and now you lead, need to land the plane. Well, how well do you do that? 
Is it a turbulent flight? Um, does the landing, like, do you, be, did you do that? I don't know if you've ever been on an airplane a whole bunch of times. There's a whole bunch of different landings. If you go on enough times, uh, you get all the different landings. Some of them are rocky. Some of them are turbulent. Some of them you do like a little bounce when you hit the runway. Some of them it's really windy. And so you're shaking all over the place and it's really scary. And so how well do you land the plane or do you land the plane? There are some shows like Game of Thrones where a lot of people would argue that the plane just crashed and burned into the mountain and didn't land at all. And so this episode landed the plane. It did land the plane very successfully, but it was a little bit turbulent. There are a few things for me to nitpick in this episode that, that really took me out of it a little bit. And so I'm going to go with an eight, which is still better than six of the episodes, right? And so it's right up there. It's a fantastic episode of TV. You know, seven is our benchmark for really good. If you're hitting above a seven, it was thoroughly enjoyable, time well spent, no big issues if it's above a seven. So to hit an eight is quite difficult. Only three episodes, I think, this season hit the eight mark out of eight and so even within this season it was a pretty hard hit and I think this was an eight I don't think it was better than last episode I don't think it was as good as last episode just because it has to be so much better to hit the same marks because it's the finale but finales also have the highest possibility to be the highest scores and so I don't feel too bad bringing this down from an 8.2 to an eight for this one all right, time to talk about what worked for me. And it's a lot in this episode. It really is. I, I, I know I keep I keep stressing myself out that I've lowered the score as if I've given this bad this episode a bad score and people are going to think I didn't like it because I really love this episode. The first thing that worked for me is how many cute moments there were. I am... Like, I don't know how to quantify like who is and isn't a romantic person. I think everyone just has their own definition of that but i'm like a sucker for typically romantic things or cute moments or things like that and there were just so many cute little moments in this episode that just really drew me in and maybe it's just a personal thing but that whole i'm gonna talk so much about the anthony and sienna scene that was just cute they're running around they're dancing with each other she's covered in the bed sheets they're talking about how ridiculous it is to go to a ball like my heart was just melting that i'm such a sucker for that and they just drew me in and absolutely executed it the whole scene in the rain, despite the episode title, that's just another really cute moment that I liked. Hyacinth is running around doing cute and funny things. Like there are just so many like cute moments in this show that just they endeared me to the episode. You know what I mean? Um, they just were really endearing, and I, I don't know what else to say. We'll talk about all those moments, but man, I'm a sucker for them, and they landed, and ah, I loved it. The next thing that really worked for me is the aura of fun. Now, some uh, some moments were really cute in, like, the Anthony Sienna, like, adult content cute. And some of them were just cute and fun, like Hyacinth and Gregory talking to the Duke about having a paper pony. And then Gregory's like, do you know it's a paper pony? It's like, yeah, shut up, Gregory. Of course he does. He's an adult. He just made it. Like, whatever. But, like, those are just cute, funny moments. So the aura of fun this episode, I'm going to separate it because there's moments like Colin singing, which is just really fun. It's really cool. You know, Cheese and Sneeze is back. That is so fun that Cheese and Sneeze is back in the action. There's just so much joy in this episode, and I, it just really hit, and I really was a, a sucker again for not only all the, the, the cute kind of romancy moments, but all of the cute kind of fun moments as well.
This episode is going to be a lot of uh, me separating how we got to a certain point in the story and the actual point in the story we got to, because they're kind of opposite on how I feel about them. But I really enjoyed where we got to in this episode, what specific points we got to. How we got there, lots of questions that we're going to talk about, which is exciting. But um, the Duke coming around to wanting to have kids and eventually having a kid with Daphne, I'm happy that that happened. I am happy overall, again, how we got there might be a little shaky, but that Penelope is Lady Whistledown, I'm happy with that outcome. I'm happy with Benedict being with uh, Genevieve, the modiste. And there are just so many little things like that. I'm happy that uh, the boxer, Will, gave up the fight. I think it was a brilliant decision to give up the fight and support your family. So all of these actual plot points, if you were to just, after episode 7, if you were to just write down, these are the plot points that happen in the finale, I would have loved them all. I really like where we ended up with our characters and how the, the season kind of tied everything up in a little bow, which is, it's a it's, it's kind of like a, a tropey rom-com type of thing. Not that this is a rom-com, but this type of show, you know, you're not going to end it all doom and gloom. Bridgerton's meant to be like a happy, uplifting show released during a pandemic. I don't think it's going to go all doom and gloom on us in the finale, but I really like the individual points of the story where we ended up. There are also a lot of themes and lessons littered throughout this show. Um, things like love has to be a choice sometimes. I really resonate with that. I think that's a good lesson. I think there are a lot of things. They also make sense for our characters. So that's just an example of one of the lessons uh, of this show. But there, there's a lot of cool kind of undercurrent or underrunning themes. A lot of lessons that are straight up like love is a choice type of thing. And I really I really vibed with, with how they apply to, to our 2021 life. But also how they apply to our characters. We'll talk about them as we go through the episode a little bit more. But those things really, really worked for me while I was watching this. Now what didn't work for me, I can take what didn't work for me under one big umbrella, and I just thought the actual execution, the landing of the plane for some of our plot lines, I don't think any of them crashed into the mountain or even close to that, but I don't think any of them were really like a nice smooth landing on the tarmac. I think this show would have greatly benefited from one or two more episodes. I felt that a little bit throughout the season, but now that I've seen the finale, it's like, man... How much better could this have been? It was already great, but how much better could it have been had we had another two hours to spend with these characters and really dive deep into, into how we're getting to where we're going? There's a few pretty obvious ones, like the Mr. Featherington thing, he, like him dying. It's like, cool, I'm happy with that plot line. I think that's an interesting plot line. But to just have it go bang, bang, bang in one episode, like he makes the bet, he wins the bet. I know we started it in the last episode. It feels really quick. The fact that these schmucks, they're like the cheesiest like villains ever. And the bottle that they give him says poison on it. Like, oh, get me out of here. Like, if you have to write poison on the bottle in the scene for me to understand what's happening in that scene, you have not directed it well. If that makes sense. Like, I should be able to go into that scene and just by the mood, like the Godfather. If the if in the Godfather they were poisoning people, they wouldn't write poison all over everything. Right? Just the mood. These guys are sitting there. They push a drink towards Mr. Featherington. I know that's poison. They're just like little moments like that that really like, oh, how much better could it have been if we had more time and less cheese in those types of scenes? Other things like the the Duke turning around to wanting to have kids. I'm happy that it happened, but it happens. And like like the rain comes down and then he's he's a flipped person. They are still wet, right? The rain comes down when Daphne gives him that speech. And then the next speech where they are having sex and he's no longer using his uh, pull-out method that was working so well or would have continued to work just brilliantly. That is like the, they are still wet, 
They are not even dried off from that moment. That's how quick the emotional turnaround is. And I don't think it's fair to Simon to take all of that kind of repressed emotional trauma and have it fixed by a speech in the rain by Daphne. And I think there is more to it than that. I, I get that there's a few more building blocks along the way. But it's just too quick. They kind of just skipped over the best part. And then the end of the episode is them having the kid show me the nine months. Show me how we get there emotionally. Uh, I wish there was two more episodes where we could have had that nine months. While she's pregnant, how is that going? How is he feeling? When he walks by the nursery, how does he feel? Give me that Give me that scene where Daphne walked by the nursery earlier on in the season, but give me that with Simon while she's pregnant. Is he having any regrets? You know, the rain happens, he's in, he's going to have kids. How does he feel for the next nine months? Because he goes from not wanting to have kids to like naming them after the family tradition at the end, which is a complete 180. Right. And so I just, I needed a little bit more there to really love it, but I did like it. And I think that's important. Like, I think they landed the plane. They just landed it in a, in a turbulent way. The only other thing that really bothered me this episode was like, I couldn't tell if it was the evening or the daytime at this ball because the ball is happening in the daytime and it's kind of bright outside when they are when it's raining and everyone has to go home and all that. But when Anthony goes to pick Sienna up from the ball, it's pitch black and dark or pick Sienna up for the ball. It's pitch black and dark. And that's weird. And then Eloise is going to save uh, Lady Whistledown and that's pitch black and dark. But inside uh, when they when they uh, go for a shag after they're still soaking wet, but it's daylight outside. The cinematographer, I don't know what the game plan was, but it just, this, the continuity of whether this ball was happening at day or in the day or in the evening or whether it was raining, when it was raining, when they were dried up, like I just couldn't wrap my head around when in the day this ball was happening. It's a minor thing, but if I notice it, if I notice the cinematography, it's either really good or really bad. And I think in this case, I pointed out all season when it's been really good. I feel obligated to point out I couldn't understand. And I still have no clue. I've watched this episode twice and I still have no clue what time of day this ball happens in, which is a very strange feeling. Moving into the plot now, our final plot review for Bridgerton Season 1. I'm a little nervous going into this one, you guys. We start with a few things happening at, at the same time. Uh, Lady Whistledown is talking about uh, the elusive love match and how the quickest betrothal has happened over like one lunch or something like that to show you how little love there was in that match, I guess. And so that's happening. And then you have a montage of a bunch of married couples, or at least like, so they're talking, like, Whistledown's talking about a love match, juxtaposing that to all of these different things. I think Lady Featherington's walking around, uh, looking at her husband, and, and he's wasted all their money. So they're talking about a love match while showing you someone who's not at all in a love match and things aren't going well. They show Mama Bridgerton Violet rolling over and touching where her husband used to sleep. I found this was quite effective. I, I really thought it was a great intro into the episode. I like the juxtaposition uh, of Lady Whistledown saying how elusive the love match normally is with examples of the non-love match being alive and there and not working well. And the, the love match where one of the spouses is dead, it's still going strong in a, in a way. And I, I really liked how that scene was structured and how Lady Whistledown's montage kind of mashed and blended together with what we were seeing on the screen. 
Simon and Daphne, newlyweds, truly in love, definitely weren't like shooting guns and playing the piano to annoy each other last episode. No, no, no. Mr. Granville is is painting their portrait, which I guess this is a thing. If you get married and you're rich, you have to have a portrait, and then you have to put that portrait in the middle of a dance that everyone has to come through or come to. And Mr. Granville, uh, he picks up. It's a hard pickup. It's really hard. Takes a lot of kind of social observing skills to understand what's happening here. He picks up that Daphne and the Duke are not getting along that much. It might be because they're standing like 18 yards apart. It could also be because they're saying it out loud. Uh, which is kind of weird. But Mr. Granville, who I guess is the resident painter, I like that for him. He's he's teaching Benedict all these lessons. He's also the resident painter for all the rich people, which is, you know what? It's just nice. He has a big house, and I'm assuming that's how he gets the or, the, the orgy fee or the swinger party for, fee. I don't know what to call it, but he gets the entrance fee for those, and then he gets the, the money from the rich people who need their portraits, and that's enough to, to have a rent in a nice house in 1814. At the very end of this painting, uh, Mr. Granville says, like, hey, can you guys, like, stop being fucks? Like, can you guys, like, touch each other or be near each other or smile or do anything vaguely remotely happy? And then uh, the Duke touches her shoulder and then they look at each other and it's just, it's one of those cute transformative, like, oh my god, I want to be with you, you're touching my shoulder kind of moments. It's cheesy, but it's cute and it worked for me. And so we're starting to we're starting to plant the seeds a little bit of this might get better. There's a shoulder touch, and that shoulder touch might lead to another kind of touch, which might lead to some other touching, which might lead to happiness. And so that's where we are at the beginning of this episode. At the Bridgerton house, there's a few things going on. We also skip over to the Featherington house as well. There's just another another couple of things happening to set up the episode for us. Anthony's reading a paper about how Sienna is going to be somewhere doing something, and that's really really cute and he's not paying attention to whatever people are saying to him because he's focused on sienna eloise is talking to benedict about he she thinks the modista's lady whistled down so she's haranguing him they mentioned francesca at which point in my notes i wrote is that the sister francesca raffle like why 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 did they bring her back like cool right, we knew we knew she existed she is the missing bridgerton i knew there was four boys and four girls i did not know who this fourth girl was i guess it's francesca's so we get our first Francesca mention at the beginning of the episode. Miss Bridgerton is laying it down, uh, saying something about the Duke and Daphne and Anthony. Or it's been a very busy season. The Duke and Daphne are together. Simon and Daphne are together. And then Anthony and, oh, wait. And then she just walks out the room. So more people throwing shade at Anthony is fantastic. Good work, uh, Mama Bridgerton. We we uh, we pan to Marina, and Marina's just fine, I guess. I, I know I forgot, so I apologize because I forgot to edit in a lot of my Marina comments. The way this podcast is done is I record most of it right after I watch the episode, and then I edit bits like this one in when I need to explain myself that I forgot to put the Marina stuff in there. So I apologize that the Marina stuff's not in there. The bonus of this episode being out uh, kind of two weeks after the last one is that I have had extra time to go in and edit the parts I didn't like and re-talk about things that I felt like needed more clarity. So I'll try and make sure that everything's in this one. So Marina's just fine. She kind of says that she wanted to get rid of the baby, which is what she was going for. Uh, at the end of last episode, you were kind of left where is she trying to kill herself? Is she trying to get rid of the baby? What kind of KFC herbs and spices did she put in that tea to do that you it's it's left really vague it's a little disconcerting or not disconcerting i'm not worried about it or afraid or anything it's a little just disjointed because the last time we saw marina she's lying on the ground and penelope 
is like screaming at her mother to help. And then we just, the next scene, and if you watch the episode back to back, it's like five minutes, right? You, like this show came out as a binge watch. This wasn't week to week. So when we watch this, or when most people watch this, this is like five minutes later, Marina's just fine, which is cool. Penelope looks so guilty. I wrote, Penelope looks guilty. She's definitely involved with Lady Whistledown, which we're going to talk about her being Lady Whistledown. But I, I, it just was obvious she was involved. And you can, she looks so guilty here. Like, oh God, is Penelope, like she is responsible for publishing the thing that got Marina to do that. So she's just walking in looking so guilty about this whole thing. And we're just kind of set up for the episode and where we're going with all these little, little moments early on. Daphne goes on a walk with her mother. She is saying like, hey mama, the Duke has this grudge against his dad. He's not, I can't convince him otherwise. Like this is dumb. We're going to go our separate ways and whatever. And Mama Bridgerton's not having any of it. She then says something extraordinarily strange along the lines of, well, I, I don't know everything, but I do need to tell you what I know. And I'm like, you knew about sex. We've talked about this lots. I'm not going to keep talking about it this episode. But like, come on. This is a double standard for yourself here. You knew a lot of things that you could have told your daughter and didn't. That would have been very helpful. So now I guess it's better I guess it's fine that she's learning and adapting and giving her some life lessons now, but like, come on, Mama Bridgerton, we're we're just fresh off you neglecting to tell your daughter important information, so maybe just tone it down out loud. Do the right thing, but maybe not, maybe not give yourself the credit for it just yet. This moment gets whole really funny when Lady Bridgerton talks to Daphne about how it's always important to forgive and that you need to forgive people, and that's a good lesson. Again, one of these little life lessons that I really liked. In this episode, Daphne then runs into Lady Featherington, or Lady Featherington walks up to the, the Bridgertons and goes on like, well, it's going to be a big ball, and my daughters didn't get an invitation, and Mama Bridgerton is pretty much like, well, yeah, it's your fucking fault, lady. Like, you you tried to honeypot my son into this terrible marriage, ruining the reputation of both of our families, so no, we're not inviting you to this freaking ball. Like, get out of my face. And then Daphne, who is trying to stick it to her mom a little bit, is like, you know what? I think it's best to forgive. I think we will extend our invitation personally to the Featheringtons. And Lady Bridgerton's just like, she has that like, well, that's not what I meant face. Like, I'm glad you're listening to me, but that's not what I meant. And I, I really like that moment. The whole scene is very, very funny and charming. And I like how Daphne's inviting the Featheringtons, not because she wants to, just to get back at her mom a little bit. And it was very effective. We're moving now from a bad Marina scene to a good one. And this kind of sucks because we had a great Marina episode last episode. To have Marina be on and off again and the writing be whack is like, it's frustrating. I wish Marina was more consistent. But we're going to have, we had our bad Marina scene. Now we're going to have our good Marina scene. And we'll talk about the rest of the Marina scenes when we get there. But uh, at the end of this conversation with the Bridgertons, uh, the lady, I can't remember her name, comes up and tells Miss Featherington, like, hey, there's some dingbat at our house, uh, Mr. Crane. Daphne is like, yo, that's the person I wrote to for Marina. So they all go back to the Featherington's house. It's Philip Crane and not George Crane. And George is unfortunately dead. He died in battle. This is all very sad. And the way this is played out is really well done. Philip looks like a, a, stoic, a stoic younger brother who's trying to keep it together while also trying to be gentlemanly and explain what happened it, it's really sad marina doesn't do a great job of playing off whether this is good or, or or a bad thing when she's talking to daphne but they go out into the hallway and marina has a really good self-reflective moment i love when characters 
have self-reflective moments. Things happen, they choose to do things, and then they have these moments where they get to reflect on those. And a lot of self-reflection in real life happens in your head, but that can't happen on TV, so they have to say it out loud. So finding moments out loud for people to self-reflect is always difficult in television because so much of it in real life happens in your head. And this is a great conversation where she is realizing, hey, I thought him a villain. I was wrong. He did love me. He was writing letters. And I I thought that he was a villain. And it's not a big deal. It's not the most emotional through line of the show. Obviously, Marina's story arc has been kind of on and off for a lot of people. But in this scene, it is, it is, it is really well done. And I, I did love this self-reflection from Marina. And I thought the acting from the actress that plays her was especially good. Uh, I, I really fell for the emotion she was trying to convey. And I think this was a, a great scene for Marina. We have a quick scene of the Modiste, which is, again, just another one of these really fun scenes. Eloise goes to talk to the Modiste about being Lady Whistledown, but without saying it out loud. The Modiste picks up on this immediately and just, just sucks Eloise in. And it's so funny because Eloise will say something like, you know, I think Lady Whistledown should uh, publish this thing and, 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 and say something nice about the Featheringtons and correct her mistake. And... <laughs> And the Modiste will say like, ooh, I'm sure she will. She knows what she's talking about. And just gives Eloise everything she needs to make her think that she's Lady Whistledown. And it's really funny to just see an adult kind of play with her food a little bit while Eloise is trying to figure this out. Benedict is in the background, which was so weird because it's only the only thing you need to carry. So he comes from upstairs to downstairs. So if he was trying to avoid Eloise, he was already upstairs, so he didn't need to do that. He knows Eloise isn't going to care, right? So that's not a problem. So I just don't know. But then he's only there in that scene to say, lock the door. But Eloise didn't barge in. She knocked on the door, right? Like, I, don't, I just don't know. I'm not sure exactly what Benedict's purpose in this scene was, but it played off. It played off as pretty funny. And it's just another fun scene to, to bring us into the episode and have Eloise running around. Uh, trying to find Lady Whistledown. And my favorite moment, though, is just the Modiste kind of sucking Eloise in a little bit and just playing with her before she kicks her out of the shop. There is a little pre-boxing run-in at Simon and Daphne's house. We have another awkward... I'm sick of the whole... Like, I, I, don't, I don't dislike them, but they're not doing anything for me. Like, why do we need to keep running into Simon and Daphne, like, in a hallway? I get that that kind of makes sense that that's how they're interacting, like, just whenever they run into each other in the hallway because they're trying to avoid each other a little bit but like this is the seventh or eighth or ninth or 50th hallway awkward run-in but we're heading to the boxing and Daphne asking good questions like hey what did your dad do what what happened like just tell me what happened why why are you like why are you the way you are type of question a little more eloquently phrased and the duke just doesn't tell her again like just tell her mate like come on like just She's just, this time she's honestly asking. Daphne has very frequently just not been good at the social aspect of like starting a conversation. When you know you when you when know that you're about to talk to somebody about something they don't want to, to talk about, you need to find a, a delicate way into that conversation. And she's not good at that, which makes a lot of sense for her character, but she's getting better. And this one hit for me. I really thought Daphne did a good job in this scene, just being blunt to the point, not asking an inappropriate question, just a genuine question. I think information that she should probably know as his wife, right? And he just doesn't answer. He's like, you'll be better off without me. I'm going to the boxing. And then he leaves, which is, I don't know, man. Like, just tell her. That's all I left. Like, just tell her. I. You need him to do this so he 
Or so she can have the moment where she looks at the letters and talks to Lady Danbury. And it fits with his character because he never tells her anything. But it's just like, it's so frustrating in a good way where the Duke's just like, I'm going to the boxing. You'd be better off without me and leaves. And it's like, oh, please just tell her. The boxing introduction might be one of my favorite scenes in the show. I think a lot of the, the ball scenes early on with the Billie Eilish covers and the Taylor Swift sex scene was was awesome, right? But the introduction to this scene, just the bookies and the betting and the noise and all of that. And it it's cool to think about how many people are there versus how much money is being wagered, right? Because there's like 200 people there, maybe. There's not a big set of stands to watch this boxing match, but... There's some big money being thrown around. So it's just cool to think about it. like 200 rich people in there. It's a lot of money. It's enough money uh, for the winner to walk away with a pretty big purse and a lot of people to win pretty big on their bets. And I love thinking about the difference between how many people were there versus the insane amount of money being thrown around. I can't remember exactly what this looked like, but we definitely had a moment with Will where you're wondering, is he going to throw it? Is he not going to throw it? Building off what we learned last episode, Mr. Featherington comes in and he finds the two lamest schmuckiest villains ever man these guys sucked i did not like them like they're just not villainy enough they need to be introduced earlier man like i don't know and he walks up and he's like i heard you guys can manage serious transactions and he's gonna make a huge bet on the guy will is fighting because he expects or is hoping at least that will is going to throw it so he's gonna make a big bet on the other guy because he had already had that conversation with will the bookies are on to him right away you can just see it in their face like what what are you doing like i'm not gonna trust you whatever whatever and then he gives them the deed to his house is this how deeds work like if i have the deed to your house but my name isn't on it can i claim your house i don't even think deeds work like that i need more deed clarity in my tv if you're gonna hand the deed to a house from one person to another i need to know is that how deeds work because i don't think right if i hand if i own my house and I give you a deed to my house, and that deed has my name on it, can you claim my house? I don't think that's how it works. Did deeds of houses just have, were they unnamed? Back in the day, like if you had the deed in your house, in like a drawer, and I broke into your house and I took the deed to the house, and I walked around to the front door with a police officer, and I showed you the deed to your own house, do I own the house now? I'm not exactly sure how that works. Is it just like you don't get the deed back? Like it's collateral? I have no idea. I just had, I needed more deed clarity. Back at the Featherington house, there is so much going on. There's a really cute, fun moment with Lady Featherington saying like, look, we can't buy new dresses. The girls are going to have to wear ones they've worn before to this ball. And the girls are like, wait, can you even do that? Is it possible to wear a dress one has worn before? Which is wild because I thought people in this day and age were accustomed to not wasting clothing even for rich people i thought it was more customary to not waste clothing and to reuse clothing more clothing more maybe it's more for inheriting like if you're an older child you will send your you will get like those clothes retailored for your younger siblings maybe i'm thinking maybe there's just a level of richness where you just always wear new dresses and that's like a symbol of how wealthy you are i'm not really sure how it works but they have that really funny moment they have Philip there saying his business isn't done and he has things to, to do. He has a question he wants to ask Miss Thompson. And then it smash cuts to Marina saying, marry you. And I loved that smash cut. Very well done by the editor to really raise the stakes there and not give us any time to tune out of the scene to kind of keep us in there and keep us, uh, 
keep us interested in what's happening. And then Maria Marina completely bungles this up. And so there's a lot of complicated things to think about this scene. It comes across as a pretty innocent scene, but it's really emotionally complicated because on one hand, you have the Featheringtons who who don't really want to have Marina here and just kind of have to. So from their point of view, this dude comes along and he, he's like Colin. He's exactly like Colin. He's just kind and nice and he says, hey, I'm the younger brother. My older brother took liberties with your virtue so I feel it incumbent upon me to marry you and support you and your child. My older brother cared about you very much. This is what he would have wanted. The Featheringtons were like, yes, a good estate, a lot of money. This is perfect for Marina. And then Marina goes, no, I don't know you. I don't love you. I'm not going to. It says, I don't know this man. I don't love this man. I can't marry this man, which is poor writing is whatever, but that's fine. And the Featheringtons are like, yo, what the fuck? Like, honestly, like, this is what, even, even Philip knows this is a good deal for her, I think. He, he could, he, I'm sure he is disappointed that he's trying to do this nice thing for his, his brother, uh, but she won't let him. But even he's like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> what? You're telling me you don't want to be cared for, like, with this kid? Which is just weird. And so we have to look at this from Marina's point of view. She thinks she's not with child. I put in my notes, I would bet a million dollars she's still with child. Although I'm happy she's only bad when it's needed. I did like that Marina said, hey, I'm not with child anymore. So there's no need for me to participate in any tricks and any tomfoolery and any honey potting. Uh, I'm just going to wait to marry somebody that I love. But also in this time, there is, and it's not fair. It's not really fair because everyone should be able to marry who they love. So it's not fair to expect Marina to want to marry this guy. But also, there's the practicality of the time, right? When is Marina going to get a better offer? That's that's the, that's how I'm trying to think of this too. Like as a as a person from 2021, obviously I can't expect Marina to marry this guy. But also, looking at the show and looking at everything that's happened to her, it surprises me that she's so adamant at not marrying him. I guess I, I guess it's just weird. Maybe she thinks she'll go into another social season and she'll find somebody she loves. But why not do it? The other, why, why not just take this offer and go, hey, do you want to do you want to call some more? Do whatever the process is like their dating is like the caller, like stick around town, right? Let's have a chaperone date or two. Let's go to the ball. Like, it, it's weird to me that she just flat out says no, that she doesn't say like, hey, you're cute. All right. Maybe it's like because he's the bride. There's a lot of emotional complication going on. Maybe it's that he's the brother of the person she did love so that's too weird regardless i'm not really sure what i expected here and it's very emotionally complicated and so the show just kind of expects you i think to go over but i really got emotionally like stuck up on this scene because there's a lot going on because i left it going marina no why why not like i put i put what the fuck come on marina but then now it's like oh but would she do that should she do that so there's a lot going on and i love living in the gray baby bring on the gray Black and white choices, lame. Let me sit in the gray with Marina here. And so I found this scene to be really, really good. Even though the writing for Marina is bad, like it usually is, I thought the the scene was really, really good. The tension in the next couple of scenes is really, really cool because you cut to Daphne, who is looking around her house and is finding the letters in the drawers that Simon had wrote to his father. And all you see is that she finds them and that they're unopened. So you know, and of course you knew, 
It's one of those things that you definitely knew, but when you see the unopened letters, you get a little bit heartbroken for Simon that all that effort, all that work, there's so many letters that he wrote as a kid to his father that he never even opened and that Daphne is the first one to open them. But before you can really sit with the emotion of that, they're like, nope, we'll get back to this. Just be aware that it's here. We're going to the boxing match. There's more box position to happen. Now, this is in box position in the same way that the other scenes are box position, but the boxing match is kind of like a side thing to give us more info for a lot of our other characters that aren't in the ring. Sienna is there with her new boo, and she looks stoked to be at a boxing match. Her and Anthony just, like, stare-sex each other from across the room, and there's, like, <laughs> the cuts here are so funny, because they just go back. There's no boxing happening. There's the sound of punches happening in the background, but the first couple minutes of this boxing match, couple minutes, probably, like, 30 seconds, it feels like forever. It's just cut to, cut to Sienna's face, cut to Anthony's face, and they look, like, more and more with, like, can we have sex eyes? Like, you know those eyes. I don't know how to describe those eyes, but you just know the eyes, right? If you have a significant other, you know what the eyes look like. And so they're just cutting back and forth between their two faces, and it's zooming in every time. And I wrote in my notes, the tension, dot, dot, dot. Are they going to fuck? And then immediately, like, ruffle, yes. So Sienna and Anthony see each other, and they go, and they immediately just start going at it underneath the bleachers or the stands or around the corner, like somewhere in this... Somewhere in this, I, I thought it resembled, you know, those 80s movies. I'm sure they do it in modern day, like football, American football movies as well, where people are having sex under the bleachers of the football stands. Like that's where I, this is the 1814 equivalent of that. And I thought this was, this was so funny that Santa's like, yeah, I, I'm with this guy, but like what I want is you. And he's across, he's like, and what I want is you. Like the, just through staring like, hey, we don't got to do this whole boxing thing. We can go to the back and, you know, and I, I <laughs> found it really funny. I want everyone to go back and re-watch this boxing scene because I swear they use the same three sounds for punching. I think there's three punching sounds and every punch has one of the three sounds. And sometimes you get a couple of the same sounds in a row. Sometimes I have no idea. But I really felt like the Foley people only made three punching sounds for this episode. I feel obligated to point out that I think both of these people should be dead and have concussions, just like I have every other boxing match we've seen, but that's okay. In this boxing match, there's a lot of tension, the music's good, the people in the crowd are, are cheering, Sienna and Anthony are doing their thing in the back, which is great for them, and Will throws the match. Will throws it. He's going in for the family. I think this is a good choice. Right, he even says it later, we'll talk about that. I think this is a good choice for Will. You know, money for your family is more important than winning this match. But he's not a very good actor. Not not like he's a great actor, but in the show, he he takes one punch that's not definitely not a knockout blow and just kind of falls over slowly and then he just doesn't get up. But the second the bell rings, he kind of looks better a little bit. He's not a very good in-show actor to sell the flop because everyone immediately the duke knows he flopped the bookie guys are looking at each other like yo this guy definitely flopped mr featherington doesn't have time but he definitely knows he's flopped he's just freaking out about the money but like he's not a very he didn't sell the flop he didn't sell the throw really well and so everyone there kind of knows that he threw the match a little bit for one reason or another I then proceeded to put, we have our two kind of weirdo villain dudes, and I proceeded to put in all caps, those guys gonna fuck up Mr. F. <laughs> so it turns out they are, but that's how I felt at the end of that scene. I was like, yo, this guy sucks at throwing the match. He's not selling it very well, and just those guys gonna fuck up Mr. F. And they do, so I felt, I felt vindicated about this one. 
The boxing gets interrupted after the match has been thrown to cut to Daphne and Lady Danbury. And what a wonderful scene this is. Daphne, we're back at the letters. She's cruising through them. She's reading them. She's finding out for the first time that Simon had a stutter when he was a kid, that he wrote to his father and all of those things that we as the audience already know. And Lady Danbury comes in, says like, hey, we're here to set up the ball. Did you forget about us? She's like, no, 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 of course not. I'm coming, I'm coming. But hey, can I talk to you about these letters for a second? I didn't know that the Duke had a had a stutter. And Danbury has a really nice, I like this conversation because she just treated Daphne like an adult, right? She didn't have any judgment that she was snooping around for this information. She didn't have any judgment that the Duke hadn't told her this information. She's like, hey, you're an adult. You've already found this information out. I'm just going to add the context, but I'm not going to have an opinion either way. And I really liked that moment of just being kind of a neutral arbitrator. This is what Daphne needed the whole time. Just someone to give her information, not an opinion, but just the information. And Lady Danbury explains that she helped Simon overcome the stutter. And this is one of the other lessons I really liked and something that I try and do all the time at work is the idea that like she didn't fix him. She just showed him what he was already capable of. And I wrote in my notes, like, I love that line because I try. So at work, I have a fairly young staff team, right? So I hire staff. They're usually around 18 to 20 years old. And I'm only 25, so I'm not that much older than them. Uh, God, I'm turning 26 soon. Jeez, man. If you're older than 26, I'm so sorry, but I feel so old, man. I know I know how time works. I'm just going to keep getting older. And every year will feel older than the last. But 26 just feels... Ugh, man. What are we like? Two, oh, we're still two months away. All right. You know, let's get back to the episode of Bridget. <laughs> you guys don't need me going through a quarter-life crisis or whatever you want to call it on, on the podcast. But at work, I, I, I hire all these young people. And I'm their mentor uh, at, at work, right? I'm their, I'm their boss. But also, I work pretty closely with them. So the relationship there's a little bit different than it is at a, at a normal workplace, I'd say. But I, there's two parts to my job. There's the teaching part, right? I, as the more experienced person, I'm trying to teach them things about the job, about life, about whatever, right? So there's that part of it. But a big part of my job isn't teaching them anything. It's just giving them the opportunity to shine at what they're already good at. And I think it's important to remember that. People don't come to you broken and need... That's how I try and think about um, like when people aren't performing well at work, I don't go, oh, they're broken and need fixing, right? People are good at, everybody's good at something, right? And that's not saying that every time someone's underperforming at work or not doing the job properly, that you can just give them more opportunities and they'll get better. That's not how life works at all. But it is important to keep in mind that it's the same like setting people up for success type of conversation we had with Daphne, where she wasn't set up for success. So of course, she failed. Part of my job in real life is to just show people what they're already good at. They might not know they're good at it, but they already are good at it. I don't need to teach them anything. I just need to set up their schedule, their work day, whatever it is, so that they can succeed, so that they can become better on their own. And that I'm, I, I don't, just because I'm older than them or more experienced doesn't mean I know better than them in that way. And I really love this line because I think it's great for this episode. It's great for these characters. It's great that she's saying that she helped but he had to overcome it on his own. And that, that achievement that he's so proud of is his. And I love that because I, tr I try really hard to remember those types of things while I'm at work because I'm responsible for the development of people is a big part of my job. And development comes with the teaching. That is part of my job. But a big part of it is just, I just got to get in there. And I got to find out what people are good at and what makes people tick. And then, and then set up 
the set up their day, their schedule, their environment, um, so that they can succeed on their own. And I, I really enjoyed this scene for that lesson. We are back to the boxing where nobody who gets punched in the face multiple times has any kind of injuries, repercussions, cuts, nosebleeds, bruises, anything. They just get to walk away and have conversations. You punch me in the face that hard, I'm fucking dead, okay? I'm either dead or concussed or paralyzed or something. I ain't walking around my tent at the end of the mat. You punch me in the face that hard and I don't even want to walk again. All right, I'm just saying, I'm just saying it again because it bugs me every time we go to one of these boxing scenes and everyone who just got the shit kicked out of them is just okay. The Duke knows what's up. The Duke knows he threw the match. So he's, he's confronting Will about it. And he said, hey, like if you needed more money, I would have given you some. I immediately thought of like, yeah, at least he's better than Harry Potter. The Duke is better than Harry Potter. Harry Potter has all this freaking money and he never offers it to the Weasleys. He buys Ron like an ice cream. He buys Rome the Omnioculars at the Quidditch World Cup. And that's enough for 10. Like, Harry, you need to give your money to the Weasleys. There's this one line where it's like, I don't think the Weasleys would take it. I would happily give all the money in the world, but they would never take it. Find an anonymous way to do it. Leave it at their doorstep. Go to Gringotts and just put it in their vault. Like, what the hell are you? Like, Harry, come on. So at least the Duke is doing better than Harry Potter does with his extraordinary wealth that the Duke still doesn't do anything to earn, by the way. Like, he, sh he showed up for one day at work with Daphne, did a bunch of paperwork, and then just fucked off again, and then stayed in London for another nine months after this episode is over. So he just has money because he has money. So I like that he's at least offering it to Will. Will says he doesn't need his charity. What is more honorable than fighting for your family? And then he realizes at the same time we realize like, hey, Simon's not, he even says it a lot, like Simon's not here because he's worried about Will. He's just here to vent. He's angry about his own situation. He's projecting that onto Will. And Will's like, yeah, get out of here, mate. You need to go figure out your own marriage before you come and mess with mine. And the Duke goes and, and seems to do that. So this scene was I don't think Will should have been conscious for it, but since the show made him conscious, in that sense, it was well done. We go back to the Featherington house to see that they now have lots of money. Mr. Featherington has returned with his cash. The biggest reveal, though, is that we learn that Lady Featherington's name is Portia. Portia Featherington. Interesting. After the giant Portia reveal, I was like, I paused it. I paused the episode and rewound 10 seconds. Like, is her name Portia? It's not a bad name or a weird name for her character. It's just a name you haven't heard. Like, you're just like, wow, they gave us the name reveal in episode eight. I guess that's cool. We go to breakfast with Daphne. This breakfast is interesting for a few reasons. First, we learn about Francesca again. Francesca is back from Bath. Bath? They say it like Bath, but they're sno snooby, snobby English people. We, we say it Bath in Canada. So she's back from Bath, which is a city name, not the tub that you, like, sit in with hot water and bubble bath and stuff. Anyways, they get an invite to go back to the Bridgerton house to see Francesca. Daphne obviously stoked, and she's going to go. And then she says something truly stupid where she's like, hey, if you don't come with me, my brothers are going to think it's suspicious. And I wrote, no, they won't. Colin has already figured out that there's problems. Lady Bridgerton has already figured out that there's problems. Anthony just fought... Anthony put uh, the Duke Simon through a table in the last episode, knowing that you didn't fuck this up, which you know what? You fucked it up more than Anthony thinks you did. Uh, I'm not a Daphne apologist. I, I sympathize with Daphne a little bit or empathize with her, right? But she is a little bit responsible for the whole thing as well. But for this, like they all already know that there's a huge but but batch of issues, 
right? So what? if you show up without the Duke, they're just going to assume those. it's part of the... I don't know. It's just like, what? No, they won't. They're not going to think anything's weird at all. It was just a weird comment to make. We immediately head to the Bridgertons, though, so no weird things in between. Hyacinth is truly hilarious, running around, like, wanting the Duke to give her a pony, wanting to visit the Duke's resident, like, just so... She's just in. She's like, she's like what a younger Daphne would have been, like, just super in on the whole royalty duke aspect of this whole marriage she thinks it's the greatest thing ever that her sister's a duchess and she's just so in we learn about Francesca. we see francesca in the flesh i don't know about you i spent seven episodes just fretting about francesca's safety i didn't even know her name was francesca until this episode or maybe it was in the subtitles or something but cool francesca is back eloise is still with benedict saying things about lady whistledown and how funny it is now he needs to be careful with the modiste anthony interrupts that conversation and i wonder why i don't feel bad about the the writing for anthony and i do for marina but this this scene is also a little bit silly he cuts in and he interrupts a conversation that he was already listening to about uh the modiste and benedict says that he has a friendship which like shut up benedict come on with the modiste genevieve and anthony anthony then thinks about it for a second this is post I put he's in his post-fuck haze. You know that haze you get? You've just had sex, you're cooling off a little bit, and you have that mental clarity that you didn't have beforehand. So he's having this mental clarity. I think he's doing the calculation in his head, like, hey, I just had sex with uh, Sienna. Maybe I shouldn't be chastising my brother right now. But he just chastised Colin like an episode or two ago for wanting to marry Marina. He's just not consistent, really. And I, I like a character that's consistency is based on how recently they've just had sex i think that's fun i think that's interesting i don't think that's what they intended though so the writing's a little bit weird but anthony's like yeah you know what cool bro he thinks about it for a second he's like yeah we all deserve happiness like shut up that is like why wasn't that your opinion at the beginning why wasn't that your opinion with colin i think it's just a post-sex haze that is mental the mental clarity that comes with it the other thing we learn in this scene is that Colin can sing, I guess. He's not the best singer, but he's not the worst singer. He keeps singing this song about catch and toast. What is the catch and toast? Like the catch and toast go round. What is that? This falls under leading strings. I still don't know what leading strings are. I have no idea. I don't know what catch and toast is. What else did I not know? There was something else I didn't know. And I cannot remember what it was. It was the point where I said I needed a female co-host. What was it? I can't remember. Was it leading strings? Anyways, I, I don't know what leading strings are, and I don't know what the catch and toast going round is, but I assume it's like a toast Ferris wheel of some kind is my get. I That's what I envisioned in my head. This scene is also very obviously like a, whoa, look, Simon is good with kids scene. <laughs> Which is, it, it's a little ham-handed. I think they disguised it really well with Hyacinth and Gregory and the pony and all that stuff. I think they disguised it well enough, but especially the second time I was like, oh, this scene is here. I think they only, I think, now that I think about it more, I think Francesca only comes back so that we can get a scene of Simon being good with children. Either that or we need to know that Francesca, who Francesca is for the next season. I don't know. Anyways, this scene is here so that you can see, hey, Simon's good with kids so that you feel like, hey, why won't Simon have kids? At the Modiste, we have a hilarious scene with the Featheringtons where the Modiste is like, whoa, nobody wanted this fabric, which is like a cool, subtle dig. And, and um, 
Penelope is just pissed that hers is yellow. And the line delivery on the, and mine is yellow, is so good. I rewound that a few times just to listen to the delivery from Penelope on the mine is yellow. I have no idea why they need such colorful dresses. Another hilarious thing happens this scene where uh, Miss Fet- Miss Portia, Portia is saying that Cheese and Sneeze might want to be with Philippa again, might reconsider his proposal now that she has her dowry. And Philippa's like, did I lose my dowry somewhere? It's truly, it plays for high comedy. It hits. It's so good. And then the million dollar bet has paid off. Because earlier in this episode, I said I would put a million dollars that Marina was still pregnant. And boom, I put in all caps. Ha 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 ha. I don't think it's funny. But just in the moment, I type quickly while I'm watching. And I was just like, ah ha ha ha. She's pregnant. Good Lord. Where's my million, baby? Cash, cash money. That's what I wrote in my notes for this scene. So Marina drops a plate of toast. She's pregnant. Shit's about to go down. Clearly not what she thought. We're going to spend the rest of the episode cutting in and out of the ball that Simon and Daphne are hosting. So it's a little bit weird, so bear with me. We now have the ball set up, where they are setting up the ball. And Lady Wilson is talking about anticipation or dread, the last ball of the season. And I really liked this setup. I found this really cool, because it would be, right? If you have had a successful season, if you have found a match, if you are getting married, maybe you've already been married, you're anticipating this big celebration, the last event of the season. Maybe you've had a poor season. Maybe you didn't find your love. Maybe no one wants to be with you. Maybe your dad lost your dowry and didn't tell you about it. And you're going in and this is just dreadful. Or you're Eloise and you don't want to be there and this whole thing is fucking stupid and you know it's dumb and we know it's dumb and you just don't want to be there and you dread that. So I I liked setting it up as like, Half the people there are going to love it. Half the people there are going to hate it. But there's not a lot of room in between. And I think it's a very effective kind of dual setup for what's what's going to happen at the, at the ball. The overhead shot was also really cool. Very good way to set up the rain later. We need to know. You could, t- I would say you could tell by the lighting, but you can't tell anything by the lighting at the ball. So don't even bother. But the overhead shot is important to show you just the size of their house. But over- also to see that this is an open-topped ball so when it rains later you're like hey did they not have a roof here like aren't they rich it's 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 good at doing that and it's a cool again the overhead shots are nice it's nice to see what's going on and see the the surroundings and stuff this when you when i do my favorite scenes my favorite scenes of bridgerton in the next episode i might pick this anthony and sienna scene because holy shit it is pitch perfect this might be the best of the bet from from frame one to the end frame, the most perfect scene in Bridgerton. Not the most emotionally important, and not the most important scene by any metric, but just frame to frame, like ten out of ten. I I do not know how you make this scene any better than it is. It is perfect. It is cute. It is romantic. It is. It's. It's. It shows you, I think, especially this is where like they are getting me correctly as a person. Maybe everyone has a different kind of thing that they're looking for in a relationship. But just like the romance and the the, the how cute everything is, and that they're they're doing the dance, they're dancing around in the bed sheets is hilarious, and that she's kind of making fun, but also being a little bit serious about going to the ball, and he's finally saying he doesn't care. Oh, just. So I put in my notes, all capital letters, 
This is so cute, dot, 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 holy fuck, dot, 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 I'm melting, Jesus, fuck, ah. That is the quality of notes that I took for this scene. I am all in. What a beautiful scene between Sienna and Anthony. And I always liked Sienna's storyline. I always liked Sienna as an actress. It's the only time where I think Anthony's just a really good character, whether you like him or hate him or whatever, right? But just a good, well-done characters when he's with sienna or talking about sienna and this scene i don't even know what to say about it i don't even know what to say about it but just holy shit it was amazing just very very good and romantic and cute and if like one of the episodes was called the art of the swoon this scene is the art of the swoon and swoon i did there is a there's a lot going on here too so i'm not just going to skip over it because i think there's a lot of important things to talk about with anthony and sienna here this scene also doesn't betray the characters at all. A lot of times you have to betray the characters a little bit to get the emotion that you're looking for. But in this scene, Anthony is trying to be the gentleman. Come to this ball with me. My sister's hosting the ball. My sister's a duchess. My brother-in-law's a duke. It's their ball. No one's going to say anything. Just come and dance with me. Let's Let's be a couple. I don't care anymore. This is it. I love you. I want to be with you. He's not saying all these words, but that's what he's trying to say. In the Anthony way, he knows how. But true to Anthony, he doesn't really understand her point of view. And why would he understand her point of view, right? When has he ever been anything like Sienna? And we can all agree that Anthony, not the best person at, at empathizing and being in somebody else's shoes, I think is fair enough to say. And then Sienna, like, almost making a mockery of it, but being romantic and cute and just being also serious and, and telling him straight up, like, oh, it'd be weird. I'm not really sure. Is this the best idea? And I I liked this scene because they're both trying to make it work. And you know it's not going to work, but man, you desperately want it to work and they want it to work. And Anthony's, Anthony is genuinely trying here. And he's doing his absolute best to be good to Sienna. And I love that for his character, that he's not... Like, a lot of Bridgerton is just Anthony being a schmuck with his siblings and their marital relations, but seeing him just try to be a good guy and not really know how to do it properly, but he's trying his best, and he can't really empathize well, but why would he be able to empathize well in this situation? And Sienna, from her point of view, you can tell she wants this to work, but you can kind of tell inside she knows it's not going to, but she's going to not really... She's not going to commit here. This is not the scene where she says no this is not going to work. She still gives herself that little bit of hope that maybe by the time the ball comes around, she'll be more into the idea. Just this scene is pitch perfect television. From frame to frame, this scene, it might be the best scene in Bridgerton. I loved it. The rest of the setup for the ball has a lot going on. Firstly, what a cute photo. Mr. Granville, quite the artist. What a, what a lovely painting of Simon and Daphne. They start talking about how many dances they're going to do, negotiating, and this brings you back to the negotiating they did before they were a couple or married or when they were still on the ruse. So it kind of, it gives you that frame of mind where now they're not like fully hating each other because you have a reference point for the last time they kind of negotiated this type of thing. So they're somewhere, like they're off of their platforms that we talked about. They're more in the middle now, but they're not quite there yet i wrote in my notes i would do all the dances but i'm a shit dancer but surely this dancing has to be the best part i would dance at all the balls teach me i don't dance i'm a bad dancer anyone who knows me would know that i am the worst possible i practiced for i want to say like probably 48 hours straight up just on a simple dance 
um, for my prom. In Canada, we call it like I don't even we don't call it a prom. I can't remember what we called it, right? But just for you Americans out there, the prom uh, in, in year twelve. And me and my my girlfriend at the time, um, we were going to prom together. We practiced our little dance, and it was so cute. I just love. I would be at all the dances. Okay, this episode just hits me personally. I would be at all the. I would do three. You want three dances, Daphne? I'll do three goddamn dances. Why not six? Do you want to do six dances? Man, I would be so into it. True to form, Daphne, at the worst possible time, starts talking about kids and why won't you have kids and all of that stuff. You were, She says that you are great. Again, getting better at starting this conversation. Still not perfect, but getting a lot better. And then this conversation is actually civil, which is nice. They don't just immediately like run and hide from each other. They actually have a civil conversation. <laughs> and they're discussing the order of events, and that's how the dancing conversation happens. And then guests start arriving. Daphne. Daphne, let's talk for a minute. If you know that guests are arriving in T minus five minutes, it's less than five. I'm going to give her five minutes to be generous. Can we talk? I'm going to pretend I'm married to Daphne here. We're planning this ball. Clearly, you're in charge of the whole thing. That's totally fine. I don't want to be in charge of planning the ball. If you need my participation in a choreographed order of events that I need to know, can we talk about it, I don't know, maybe more than five minutes before the guests arrive? Please, thank you, Daphne. Now that the guests are here, though, we have so much socializing. So let's go over all of the social things that happen, because there are so many. Some are way more important than others, but I'm just going to do them in order, because they presented them in this order. Will is here. Cool. They pan to him. I'm not really sure why, other than so we know, like, hey, he didn't take what the Duke said personally or anything. He's still going to show up for his friend. I also wonder, like, is it customary to invite the boxers to the, the balls? Is that normal? I don't know. I don't know how this works, but Will's here. Amazing. Eloise is here, and this is so such good acting from Eloise. She's so uncomfortable. She doesn't like being in her dress. She doesn't like any of it. Daphne walks up and says, like, for someone who hates all this stuff, you look really good doing it, like a, a good motivational sister speech. Eloise, like, not teary-eyed, but, like, totally emotional and not comfortable. Again, the acting, very good. Says, like, I'm glad you're so perfect so I don't have to be. Ugh, such a good, cute sibling moment there. Very, very, very nice. Very chef's kiss. Very well done. The next thing in my notes is all caps. And I want you to know, I only say the things on the podcast that are in all caps. 95% of my notes are not all caps. So when I say all caps, they're not all in all caps. Most of them aren't, right? I put all caps, no fucking way, dot, dot, dot. Cheese and motherfucking sneeze is back, baby. I don't know how he got an invite. Maybe there's just a list of people you automatically invite to every ball, like the social norm of families, and he's on it. But man, Cheese and Sneeze is back in action. We see Lady Featherington, and there are these undertones of gossip happening where they're trying to talk about Mr. Featherington at Lady Featherington and how he's gambling and like some things haven't changed. He's probably wasting away his winnings already. And Lady Featherington has to pretend to be comfortable with it. There's a bunch of Gossip Girl shit happening. And then we cut to Mr. Featherington, who is about to be murdered. And he gets it. He's at a brothel. First thing, he's at a brothel, which is sick. So he's trying to have sex with someone who isn't his wife, which I'm no judgment. No judgment here. This seems like a regular thing in this show. And all the wives in the party, the Danbury party, seemed happy with that arrangement. So I'm not going to judge that part of it. But he gets honey potted by the two hilariously terrible bad guys who put a bottle of literal, like it says on the bottle, poison. It may, have, it may as well have had a skull and crossbones on it, and that's the last we see of Mr. Featherington. So we'll talk about him later when everyone finds out that he's dead and murdered. 
I guess they don't find out he's murdered, but they find out he's dead. We have Colin and Penelope here, and now that we know Penelope is Lady Whistledown, this whole scene is just so good. Because Colin's coming up and he's like, hey, thank you so much for saving me from Marina. I see what you're trying to do now. And then Penelope, Penelope says like, oh, it's the least I could do or something like that. I know I'm getting that wrong. Don't tweet me. But I wrote in my notes like, Penelope, you could have just told him the actual truth. You kind of did leave him on a bit of a a goose chase there to figure it out for himself. Pretty lucky, right? It helps that you are Lady Whistledown and you spoiled it in the paper, but like you could have just told him straight up as well. Anyways, that happens. Penelope talks about love and says that when you love somebody, you should be unapologetic. You should state that out loud. You should let the whole world know that this should be a big public thing. You are in love and you know she's about to tell Colin, like, Colin, I have something to tell you. And you know she's about to tell Colin, I love you. You're the one for me, Colin. Come dance with me, marry me, be with me. Just do all the things with me. Then Colin drops a bomb because remember, Penelope kept telling Colin that, oh my God, you love to travel. Why would you want to be with Marina? Why would you want to stay in London? Colin interrupts this and says like, hey, you know what? You really motivated me to head to Greece or wherever I'm going. So thank you so much. Do you want to dance? And Penelope, just an emotional wreck, just a complete meltdown here. Uh, just, you know what? You gotta lie in the beds you make, Penelope. Penelope did not want him to be with Marina. Penelope could have said, she has a kid, you dink. But she didn't say that. What she said is, don't you like traveling so much? You should travel more right now. And so he is. And she did that. So good work, Penelope. You're you're lying in the bed you made. But I love this. I love this whole scene. It's very well done. Eloise has a scene with the queen's bodyguard who says, nobody approaches the queen. And then Eloise says, I need an audience. Then he says, well, in that case, no. But this guy is so full of himself. Eloise keeps pumping his tires to get the info she needs. She knows he's a gossip. We've already talked about this. Everyone knows he's a gossip. So he drops the plan that they have to go and capture Lady Whistledown tonight, which turns out the whole plan is one dude with a cane. That is the whole plan, which is dumb and we'll talk about it. But uh, El- Eloise finds out about the plan, and she is going on a mission to save the Modiste. Next, we have a heartbreaking scene, one that I did not like. It's a lovely scene, very, very good. The lighting is a bit weird because we cut from the ball in the daytime to this scene that happens at night, but it's happening before the ball starts because they still need to go to the ball. I'm confused. Anthony shows up with flowers to pick up Sienna. And this whole thing could have been avoided in 2021 via like a phone call. Obviously, they don't have this technology. So this conversation has to happen at the front door. I like the confidence. Like he knows he's walking up to some other guy's house that she's currently living in. So I like that. I like that just like just confidence that Anthony has. The the stones he's got to do that. Sienna opens the door and they have this whole conversation about how she can't go. And I thought, I really like Sienna here. And everybody has their good and bad moments. And I I really am curious as to how other people felt about this one. I felt Sienna was being very unfair to Anthony here. I thought that Sienna was being very unfair to Anthony. I never thought I'd say that because I love when people dunk on Anthony. But she is saying, like, this guy that I'm with, He doesn't want me to change. He doesn't want me to go to some silly ball and put on some stupid gown and all of that stuff. And he doesn't want me to be gossiped about. Like, if I'm with you, 
right? People might not say things to your face, but they'll say things about me behind my back and yada, yada, yada. And I just wonder, like, A, if Sienna does go, if Sienna does go to the ball, does it turn out that badly? Does it? Like, really, does it? He's a Bridgerton. He's got the name. He's got the title, right? Like, this whole town, the rich people just do whatever the fuck they want anyway. Like, does anybody give a shit, right? Daphne, one of the other Bridgertons, is already married to a duke, so they've already got that clout. Like, I just wonder, what happens if Sienna... I've been torn this whole time about season two being just about Anthony, but if Anthony ends up with... If Anthony and Sienna continues into season two, I'm so in on this plot line. Because I just wonder what would happen if she went to the ball. Would... Would her outcome happen? She's thinking about it from the worst possible outcome. And would that outcome happen? Probably not. It probably sits somewhere... If you have the best possible outcome, which is Anthony's point of view, the worst possible outcome, which is hers, does it really end up either way? Or does it just end up somewhere in the middle? I also don't think... When Sienna's going in on Anthony, I don't think she's wrong to do this. I think from her point of view, it makes a lot of sense. But she's saying, this guy doesn't want me to change. And... I think what she's missing is that Anthony doesn't want her to change. Anthony loves her because she's her. But Anthony is also a Viscount who is living with it. That's all he knows. He thinks to do something romantic. He thinks to, to declare your affection in public means putting on a ball and going, putting on a gown and going to a ball and doing a dance. And like, that's what he thinks, right? So I just wish maybe... There was more to this, that she could have just shown him what she meant. Like, hey, we can be a public thing, but I'm just not the person to go to balls and whatnot. That's just not going to be part of our arrangement, right? Let's do this other thing. And like, the Duke and Daphne, when they're putting on their ruse, compromise a lot. We're going to do six dances. No, we're going to do four. No, we're going to do this promenade. No, we're going to do that. And yet here, I think Sienna is a little bit quick to just blame anthony for it implies some sort of mischievous motives that anthony i don't think has i think anthony's doing the best he can with what he as a person knows how to do and the best way he knows how to do it and is that enough probably not is it fair maybe not jury's out but i think sienna is going too hard here i think it's too much of a deep cut i think i think there needs to be a little more compromise a little more conversation instead of this just one argument at the front door. Considering how in love she seemed to be in the last scene, I think this makes sense for the show. I do feel really bad for Anthony in this one, though, because he's clearly doing his best, which is better than we could have ever asked. And I think Sienna's being a little too harsh on him here. We're going to cut to for 10 seconds to Eloise saving Lady Whistledown. Eloise takes the carriage to where the Whistledown thing is going to happen. The carriage with Lady Whistledown, which we learned is Penelope, comes up. And one dude with a stick chases the carriage down the road. Like, that is who the queen sent to do this whole mission, to bust Lady Whistledown. One dude with a stick. Like, what the fuck? Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Is that really the whole plan? Really? Back at the ball after a mission accomplished for Eloise. (laughs) Not a hard mission, it turns out, but mission accomplished nonetheless. Lady Danbury's talking to the Duke, and I wrote in my notes, I wonder if Lady Danbury will have an easier time kind of convincing the Duke to have kids. And we're going to talk about whether the Duke should or should not be convinced and all that later. 
But I did write in my notes, I wonder if Lady Danbury will have an easier time with this discussion because she knows the struggle and she knows the people involved and she already knows because the Duke clearly doesn't want to talk about it or tell anyone, even Daphne. So maybe Lady Danbury already knowing the information makes that conversation a little bit easier. We then cut to Daphne who's talking to Mama Bridgerton and she's like, is it different the way boys and girls fall in love or something? Which I just think is a, just add it to the another list of things. Daphne does not know, although it's a pretty subjective thing or a pretty just an, an unanswerable question in a way. Like, I, who knows the answer, really? Um, but I, I, I thought that was really funny. Like, Daphne just back to just not knowing anything about anything. Violet Bridgerton then talks about her relationship with her husband. And this is one of my best lessons, or one of my best lessons, one of my favorite lessons from the show. And one that I also believe in real life is that love is a choice. Not all the time. Right, I think you have to have, like, if you have a significant other, you have to have a certain amount of compatibility. Obviously, you have to have a certain amount of love, a certain amount of affection, a certain amount of physical connection. You have to have all those things. But once you have them, if you're married for years and years and years, or you've been in a long-term relationship, not every day is a good day. You do not spend every day feeling in love with that person because they do something that hurts you or they do something that uh, makes you mad or whatever it is. Right? And on those days, you have to choose to stick with it. You have to choose to love. You have to choose to make that better. Right? Relationships are work, and they're always a work in progress, and they're always flawed, and they're always, they're always something you have to work on, but you have to keep choosing to work on it. Right? Relationships, I think people often find sometimes newer relationships to be fantastic. Right, you kind of have the the honeymoon goggles in a way when you first get into a relationship, but then they can get kind of boring sometimes. You know, you've gone on all the dates, you've watched a few movies together, you've done all like the regular things, and now you're just in a relationship and you just you're you're living together and you wake up and you have breakfast and you go to work and you come home and you go to bed and it can feel quite boring and on those days you have to choose to stick with it. You can always see you can always think the grass is greener on the other side, right? But there are some days in every relationship where it is 100% a choice to love and a, and a choice to put the effort into making that relationship better instead of just merely existing in it. And I I think it's an important lesson in real life. I'm sure people have different opinions than me, which is awesome. But in this show, it makes perfect sense as well. With so many people in this show not marrying people they love, even if they love the person, like even Daphne, if she loves the Duke, has only known him at this point for like four months, like not a long time, like a whole summer. They meet at the beginning of the summer. This happens at the end of summer. So one season, three months. And so you don't, you don't get to be that in love with people. You do have to choose it in a way. And I, I like that lesson. And I think it matches with what Marina is doing. Like Marina has to choose to love this guy. You're not going to love him right away, but you can choose to try. And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but it is. there is always one, some aspect to love or relationships that are a choice. And I like that the show's taking the time to, to dive into that. I thought the, you are a Bridgerton, you can do anything, like, yeah, okay. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how many, I, I don't disagree with it in the show, because the Bridgertons are rich, powerful people, but also, it's just a bit overused. Everyone with every last name in every show is like, you are a blank, you can do anything. Just a little bit overused, but I vibe with it in Bridgerton. I think I think it's fine. I vibe with it. That comment, too, is coming up because Daphne says, I don't know how to do this. I don't know if I can do this. 
And I like that. I think it's a cheesy line, but I think it, it effectively gets the point across. Like, it's a, like again, it's a choice. You don't know how. You just have to choose to try. You just have to go and choose to do it. You don't know how to do it. I don't know how to explain it to you. You're never going to know how to do it. You just have to try. I think that's a good life lesson as well. Like at some point, at some point, you're just not going to know how to do what you're trying to do. Like me recording this podcast. At one point, I can do all the prep. I can get my microphone. I can take my notes. I can watch Bridgerton twice each episode. I can turn on the podcasting software. I can practice and practice and practice to make sure that the audio sounds good and all that stuff. But at some point, I have to choose to turn on the recording and just talk about an episode, right? Nothing can replace that. I just have to choose to try it, right? Nothing can replace publishing your first podcast episode or doing anything in life. I'm just using this because we're on the podcast right now. And I think that's a good lesson to take out of this as well. We have the Daphne and the Duke waltz. I like this moment because it's just spontaneous. They just kind of look at each other and give like the nod and then they go start dancing. Nobody gets to watch them dance for more than six seconds before like six other couples start waltzing as well. And then I put, and I kid you not, in my notes, the thunder rolls in. The rain starts coming. I did not expect this. I should have expected it. You know what? I should have expected it with the wide overhead shot of the top. Like, why else would they show you that unless it's going to rain? And the episode's called After the Rain. I thought After the Rain was going to be a symbolic thing. But no. I put in my notes, in all caps, Oh, fuck off. Is this After the Rain? Jesus, actual rain? No, this was meant to be symbolic. Fuck you. (laughs) So that's how I feel. We're going to move on. But those are the notes I wrote as it started raining in this episode. And then I put, is the portrait waterproof? Look, Daphne and the Duke were terrible subjects to paint. They did not do any of the things Mr. Granville asked of them. And yet he produced a beautiful piece of artwork. And they're just letting it sit in the rain. Lady Danbury kicks everyone out, which is awesome. Including the queen. Like, get the fuck out of here. We're busy. This is romantic. We're busy. Okay? This is this is where they're going to fix this. Lady Danbury just knows, like, this is the moment things get fixed. You all need to go. But no one saves the painting. Go Leave the food out. Leave the water out. That's fine. Someone get the painting. It's the centerpiece. It was probably expensive, and Mr. Granville worked hard. Cheese and Sneeze comes in huge here and <laughs> tries to go dance in the rain with the... Oh, what's her name? Philippa Featherington tries to go dance in the rain with Philippa Featherington, and Lady Danbury like puts her cane across and like, get out of here. I'm glad Cheese and Sneeze is as romantic as I, I wish to be one day, because that was... That was that was just an alpha, an alpha romance move right there. Daphne in the pouring rain tells Simon, this line is so dumb. This is a, another bad writing bit. I, I cannot believe that this line made it through the editing review process in the writer's room. I found the letters and I read them. Like, what? Of course you read them. What the hell? Like, all you have to say is, I found the letters, and I read them. Like, what else are you going to do with, I found the letters, and I put them in a blender and drank them. Like, what the fuck? Of course you, okay, it was just it's such a bad line. Just say, I found the letters, and let it hang. Trust the audience. Like, the Duke is a smart guy. If you say, I found the letters, he's going to know what letters you're talking about, and he's going to know you probably read them. Like, I found the letters... And I turned them into a pillowcase. Like, what? Like, I don't understand why the line has to be, and I read them. Daph goes in with a little bit of a heart-to-heart. 
with Simon that you were taught during your life that you were not perfect and not worthy of love, but that is wrong. I love all of you, even the imperfect parts. Very cheesy stuff, but it makes a lot of sense. A good life lesson all the same. And I put, she's taking this choose lesson well. She is kind of referencing and talking about how this has to be a choice and I'm choosing to love you. Can you choose to love me the same way? And I, I want to, uh, we'll talk about it now. I do want to talk about the Duke a little bit here. Because it's all very complicated how to feel about the Duke, Simon. Because on one hand, what Daphne is saying, choose to love me as much as I love you, means choose to have kids. There's, there's, there's lots to it. It's choose to be happy. Choose to have fun in this marriage. Don't, don't deny yourself happiness because of what your father did. And that I fully agree with. But she also means and have kids. Like, don't deny yourself children because of your father. And it's implied that the Duke, that is the only reason the Duke doesn't want to have kids. So I'm fine with it. But I also want to point out that the Duke is allowed to not want to have kids for other reasons. And obviously in this society, everybody is going to pressure him to have kids because that's what you do in this society. But I just want to point out that it's a little bit disingenuous of Daphne because what she's saying is not what she means. When she says choose to be happy, she means choose to have children. And while I agree that that the reason Simon doesn't want to have kids is a little bit silly considering he, he seems like someone who would want to have kids anyway, he is also allowed to not want to have kids for whatever reason he does not want to have kids. And it's it's a little bit of disingenuous of Daphne to include all of those extra like strings attached to that statement that's not really being explained when she's saying it. Back at the Featherington House, we find out that Cheese and Sneeze has a warm countenance, which is very cool. Philippa is in love. We also learn that Mr. Featherington drank that poison. Uh, everybody is finding out that Mr. Featherington is dead and that the, the cops or whoever want to have a word with Miss Featherington. And she goes straight for the cash. She does not give a shit that her husband is dead. She just cares that the money is gone, which is one thing. I don't know how to feel about that. Obviously, it was a pretty loveless marriage. Um, but at the same time, like, just straight for the cash, really. Not even a moment to just be sad for a second. Anyways, I am not sure why they won all this cash and immediately proceeded to hide it in, like, just the cupboard of their desk. Put that shit in a vault. Put it underground. Take it somewhere else. Don't put it in a place where people can break in and take it all back. Like, what do you mean? Also, I'm assuming they now have the deed to the house, but at the end of the episode, I don't know. These guys are schmucks. They stole the cash. I don't know why they left the cash just in a drawer that anybody could access, but cool. That's where I'd put all my winnings. We are now back with Simon and Daphne, and... This is where the lighting just is real fucked up. Because they are still wet. They are still soaking wet from the rain. But now it's very bright outside. It's very bright. It's a sunlit scene. And the, the ball was ending when the sun was up, but setting. The scene it was getting darker and darker. And now it's sunny outside and it doesn't look like it's raining. Like it looks like a full sunny day. So I'm assuming this is the next morning. But they are still soaking wet, which is very weird. 
The Duke also has his I don't know how moment with Daphne where he says, I don't know how to be the man you want me to be. And then they just start having sex. And then he just he just finishes in the correct place to have children. And this is where the episode loses me a little bit. I am happy. I am happy that Daphne and the Duke are going to make it work. That they're going to choose to make this work. That they genuinely care about each other. I am happy that the Duke has decided that he wants to have children. This just needed more time. I'm not going to say anything else about it. I want this to be a positive podcast. I'm not even overly negative about it. But I just think for me, this needed more time. This switch is too quick to do a complete 180. Based on one conversation in the rain, one of which I believe Daphne was being fairly disingenuous in, it's just too quick for me. I, I I don't know how other people feel about it, but it's just it's just a little too quick. I don't want to talk about it more. It's fine. I like where we ended up. It's just too fast. The ending montage is now happening. We have the ending, and then we have like the baby scene. So we'll talk about the ending. Calling is leaving. She's getting on his on his horse. The kids are asking for gifts. Penelope is really sad about Colin and her dad. I think kind of both together, and she's crying, and Eloise is trying to to make her feel better. And I really like that. Miss Featherington is having a reflective look at her husband's bed. And I wonder what that must be like. To be in a, in a fairly loveless marriage for, for 22 years. And to just stare at that bed. Like what must be going on in her head? It's fascinating to think about. What must she be thinking about? What must that feel like? I, it's just one of those experiences I can't even imagine what is going on in her brain and the acting there is really well because that's how I felt watching it Marina walks up and talks to her a little bit like how did you do it 22 years in a loveless marriage and then she says you find things to love right you find little things you have your children all of this stuff and it adds up to be enough and Marina takes this and and goes with Philip and I think it's a great sentiment I think it goes hand in hand with love as a choice I think it's I think it's a worse situation to be in obviously but you find little things along the way to, to pick up in love. And I, I really enjoy that sentiment, even though if the application isn't something that's ideal in, in real world 2021, it's it's a good another good lesson to have from the show. And Marina goes with Philip. She goes from that conversation. She's going to do at least the, the sociable, socially and kind of life security sensible thing and be. She's pregnant now. So I guess she's pregnant now is the big change from last time. But she's going to be supported and go marry Philip. And that way, her and her baby are going to be supported, which is what she's wanted all along. So Marina kind of wins. Marina fails upwards into winning here. And I love a good fail upwards story. We learn that someone undesirable, an unnamed person, generating a little momentum for season two. Who is it going to be? Find out next season. Who is the man or the woman or the dog or whoever? Who is going to inherit the Featherington estate? We're going to have to wait till season Two to find out. I have my theories, which we'll talk about in one of the end of season episodes. But, but that's one of the big mysteries going in. Hyacinth continues to be really funny and ask for gifts and stuff. Anthony, I like this acting from Anthony. He's just a broken man. I can't remember what he's talking about to to whoever he's talking to. I think he's talking to Simon and Daphne. Simon and Daphne are saying that they're going to stay in town, have some alone time. Anthony just looks like a broken man. He's like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. He's, he's just talking like a robot. And I think that was really effective for the emotional state 
he is probably in. Eloise finally figures out that Lady Whistledown is not the modiste when Benedict says he left the or Daphne and Simon's ball early to go and hang out at a party with the modiste, which I assumed was another swinger party with Lucy Granville. So you know what? Good work, Benedict. Eloise has this slow-mo walk back to the house. <laughs> it's the most unnecessary slow-mo. The show did not do a good job building Whistledown ex- suspense. By this point in the show, I just don't care who Lady Whistledown is. And this is the problem I talked about earlier, right? It was obvious Penelope was going to be involved, right? But it's like, we've spent so much time on it in a weird way, and it wasn't really spent well. So now if it is Penelope, I'm going to be happy that it makes sense but not happy with the amount of time we spent on it and how obvious it was. And then if it's not Penelope, I'm going to be a little bit upset that we wasted all that time with the red herring, which I think is fine. But like, I'm talking about like we needed more time with Simon. I would have cut the whole whistledown mystery out of this last five episodes if I could have had a couple more scenes of Simon kind of doing a complete 180 about his life motivations, right? And so... Eloise has this weird slow-mo, Whistledown's talking, it's really cool, and we learn it is Penelope. Penelope is Lady Whistledown, which I haven't had time to really absorb that yet. I just came off of watching the episode. I haven't had a lot of time to really absorb that and think about, like, hey, if I go back to each episode, how do I feel about it now? Does it make sense that 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 she would know the things she knows and say it the way she says it? It does add a little bit of credence, like her running around trying to find out how people become pregnant so she has information as the author. I was kind of hoping she would know the contact, but not be Lady Whistledown. I think how we got here was not that great with the Lady Whistledown mystery. I think the Lady Whistledown mystery was not really done too well and wasn't suspenseful enough by the end, but I think Penelope as Lady Whistledown at least makes sense, and which is, like it's, again, landed the plane, happy with where we're at, I think it makes sense, but I don't think how we got there was particularly turbulence-free. And finally, we are at the end of Bridgerton Season 1. We are having a baby. Now, I've already talked about how much I wish we had time in the last nine months. We skipped. Before we left, Daphne wasn't even pregnant, and now she's having a baby. So we know there's at least nine months we missed in this relationship, and that's nine months of the Duke coming to terms with having kids. That's nine months I think I really needed with this character. So it, it, I wish I had more time, but we didn't get more time, so let's not dwell on it. Uh, I put in my notes, wait, why did we miss the last nine months in all caps? She looks so happy. You know, the scene is just happy and it just is what it is. And there's not a lot going on. I think you can juxtapose it really well with the birthing scene and compare it with the one at the beginning of episode two, where it's uh, Simon's mother who's giving birth. In that episode, uh, Lady Danbury's in the room and... The Duke at that time, Simon's dad, is waiting outside. In this episode, Simon, the husband, is holding her hand, is there, is being supportive. I think there's a lot of comparisons there where you can see just how different the Duke is from his father. Just how how much more love there is, how much more um, passion there is in this relationship, how much happier they are. And I, I haven't done that comparison, but I'm sure you could do that. This is just something I'm just thinking about right now. And they have the baby, and it's a boy. Awesome. Sweet, we have a boy, we have an heir, we have another young duke coming up. Maybe he's going to do a little more paperwork and take his job a little more seriously, but hey, who knows? And then Simon says, like, don't we have family traditions to uphold to keep, he needs to have the letter A. And it's like, 
do you have nine months? Why don't you talk about names in the last nine months? But hey, we have a kid. They're going to name it after like the same way the Bridgertons currently do it, where it's like Anthony, Benedict, Colin, Daphne, Eloise, etc. And so they're going to start with A and move down from there. I reckon Daphne is the type to want to have lots and lots of kids, so I reckon they will. But that ends. What a happy ending. That ends season one of Bridgerton. What a wild ride this has been. And man, before I tune out for this podcast episode, if this is the last time you're going to be with us, if you're if you're not going to be here for the season-ending episodes, one of which will hopefully be coming out soon, um, thank you so much for going on this ride with me. One of my favorite things to do is analyze and talk about some of the, the art forms that that I love to watch and, and take them a little more seriously. Bridgerton is a fun, quirky, romancy, cheesy kind of show. And I hope what this podcast has been able to do is for your heart, the hardcore Bridger, Bridgerton fans out there to give you that extra bit, right? To just give you more Bridgerton, to just see it here from a different point of view. I'm going to assume there's not a lot of 26 year old solo, 26 year old guys solo podcasting about Bridgerton. I'm going to assume that is not a big uh, market of the Bridgerton podcast population. So. I hope that I was able to give you a different point of view, a different level of analysis with the show. But for you non-hardcore Bridgerton fans who who just stumbled upon this podcast or just wanted the review, next time you watch a show like this, just pick one. Obviously, you can't watch and analyze every show like this or else it all becomes too much. But you can find a lot in such a simple show. And I really hate that criticism of Bridgerton. There's a lot online where I'll hear like, oh, Bridgerton's just like softcore porn. It's like, it's so much more than that. If you pay attention, that's the key. You can't, if you pay attention and if you want it to be, these types of shows are really deep and complicated and there's so much you can pick up and talk about and analyze. And it's one of my favorite things to do and I'm glad I was able to do it with you guys. So thank you so much for being here. Don't forget to email me all the things that we talked about at the top of the podcast. Let's dive deep pod at gmail.com by the time you're listening to this you'll have at least a week from when this is fully posted to email so don't feel like you have to rush but don't forget i will tweet out when i am starting to record the next episode so that you guys can make sure to have all your stuff in twitter is at let's dive deep make sure to follow the twitter if you would like to know when the hamilton podcast will be released our next let's dive deep will be on hamilton and don't unsubscribe from the feed we will be back with bridgerton season two there will be intermediate episodes talking about a variety of bridgerton things i'm sure so make sure to stick around for those also if you would be so kind as to go and leave a review somewhere, go leave a rating wherever you can. It is really, really helpful for getting this podcast out to more people. Otherwise, thank you so much for going on this Bridgerton journey with me. I really appreciate it. I hope you had as good of time as I have had. Um, but yeah, just thank you so much for listening, guys. We'll see you in the next one.